Grace, mercy, and the peace of our God, who reigns from heaven, be and abide with us this day as we celebrate Christ the King Sunday. When I was a kid, probably, I don't know, somewhere between ages five and eight, I don't remember how old I was, maybe a little younger, um, we went to Washington, D.C. My, my dad had some event or thing that he had to go to uh, in the Washington, D.C. area. And there was someone who was sitting in an office whom we went to visit. It wasn't our congressman. It wasn't someone quite that high on the food chain politically. It was maybe um, a director of some kind of organization, like, I don't know, somebody who had an office, though, and a desk in Washington, D.C., and I was a kid. We walk in, and I think we must have had an appointment because we walked in to the office as a family. And there he was behind his desk, and out of my mouth before my parents could stop me, hey, get your feet off your desk. My parents... Uh, often are connected on our stream during the message. So I'll probably get all the details filled in later of the story, things that I've forgotten because I was a little kid. But I do remember maybe not the event so much as hearing the story of that event. It's Christ the King Sunday, and sometimes we don't approach the king or the official or the office holder at all. Definitely not with little kid precocious attitude, right? The closest thing that we understand to a king here in the United States is our president. So Joe Biden is often surrounded by Secret Service members, right? The, the security people with the, with the earpiece, right? We've all seen the movies. Those earpieces are connected to somebody who's in a place where they've got video surveillance of the whole area and there's people who can have conversations over these you know wireless devices into the ear so they can talk about things that are happening they need to protect that person so you can't just walk up right we have reverence around an office during marching band season there was another band dad and I was talking to him about helping out and volunteering. And initially, he was connected to volunteer for one of the uh, um, events that we had. And then his name dropped off of the list. And I thought, you know, sometimes website volunteer signups erase people for who knows what reason. Maybe he's still coming. So I sent him an email, hey, are you still going to be there? And um, his reply was, well, my side gig is a security business for a tech CEO. And it carries, you know, he's got a carry permit and I don't know what else. And he said, and I have a non-disclosure, so I can't even tell you which one it is. Okay. Can't even approach people who are CEOs, important people in companies. We can't approach people who are politically high in office just, you know, without appointment and vetting and credentials and background checks and all of that. Today, as we talk about... Christ the King Sunday, we, we look at our relationship with God and how we might approach him, knowing that our God is a consuming fire. Those are the last words in the lesson from 
Hebrews chapter 12 that we heard today. Our God is a consuming fire. Those are also the first words of the song that we sometimes sing um, about our God is a mighty fortress. So we get this idea from that, our God is a consuming fire. That is a quote from Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 20, uh, verse 24, where Moses was describing the exodus and the wilderness and the things that the, the people could and couldn't do. Deuteronomy, most of it, a lot of it is Moses, you know, kind of farewell speech preparing the people for going into the land. So in chapter 4, as he's rehearsing some of the details, a lot of his focus is on, well, the kind of prime time of his life and leadership, which was the exodus and then the wilderness wandering. I mean, this is, this is what Moses did. Right? His, his life span up to that point is in Exodus just, you know, a little bit here about his birth and a little bit about um, why he fled Egypt. And then from Exodus chapter 3 with the you know, call on the mountain with the burning bush, and then everything after that is go back to Egypt, you know, bring the people out, and then the wandering in the wilderness to the point, you know, getting right up to the edge of the land, but Moses can't go in. So, you know, Deuteronomy is you're going to go in, and here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to remember. Our God is consuming fire. That's especially said about Mount Sinai, the giving of the commandments. And the author of the book of Hebrews has that in view as well as he's describing and talking about our God as a consuming fire. God's presence can make us fear. Verse 21 says this, Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Have you trembled before God? Have you been struck with fear because of who God is and his holiness and his power? We see that several times biblically. When the power of God is on display, most people then are struck with fear. When angels show up, most of the time their first words are, stop fearing or don't be afraid. We don't know what angels look like exactly, but they're not precious moments like figurines. with Friendly wings, right? They're, they'll freak you out. God's presence at the burning bush, Moses hid his face because he was afraid. Isaiah, in his vision of heaven, this is in Isaiah chapter 6, he sees God on the throne high and lifted up, and the, the train of his robe and the temple and the whole thing and the cherub and holy, holy, holy. And like Isaiah's reaction to it is, I'm a dead man. I can't see this and live. You don't get to stand in the presence of God as you are and live to tell about it. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Why fear? Because it's good. It's healthy. It's an awe and reverence and respect for God because his holiness cannot be approached. That was part of what the instructions were at Sinai. So the people came up out of Egypt. You know, Moses went down and talked to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. You've heard the song, maybe. Right, and then they eventually they get to leave, 
and they, they go out, and it's not long later, like the crossing of the sea and everything else. They've seen it all, right? Pillar of cloud, pillar of fire. They get out, and it's, it's not that long, and they arrive at Mount Sinai, also called Mount Horeb, same place where God had been on the top of the mountain and the burning bush had happened, right? And they get there, and God's waiting for them, right? Like, like the whole scene gives you this, I think I'd be a little bit nervous. Just last night, I went and picked Gina up at uh, Milpitas High School, which is over that way. And we came around this way, so we're on Evans Road, which is like right here. And there's a stop sign up that way. And we got to the stop sign, and we're looking ahead, and there's smoke filling the air. Like, what is this? This is strange. And, you know, I hesitated. I didn't hear anything. I didn't see anything. There was no, like, glow from a fire or anything. So I started to drive slowly, looking. I put my window down. That was a mistake. Um, the smell of the smoke was not what I expected. Turns out what we figured out was that someone had decided that they didn't want all of the surface of their tires. So very recently, before we had arrived at the intersection, there was a nice black, like, circle there. And the remnants of the tire filled the intersection. But there was a little bit of trepidation, right? Approaching the intersection, there's smoke here, and smoke doesn't belong here, right? There's not, you know, I'm, I'm wondering, is there some kind of fire going on in the home that's not far away? Is there something that we need to call and get people here? for this. The people approach this mountain and there's smoke and there's cloud and like lightning and power, like God's power is sitting on the top of the mountain. And so they're afraid. And then God says, don't come up on the mountain, don't even touch it. This is what Hebrews 12.20 is referencing. They could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Like, don't even let your sheep wander up this mountain right now. No goats, nobody. Don't touch it. How are we when we get those kinds of instructions? Don't touch it. Oh, I wonder why. In this case, I think most of the people um, respected that. But because God's holiness cannot be approached, it's why Adam and Eve fled and tried to hide from God. It's why sometimes we try to hide from God. We try to, you know, keep something private, something, you know, that's just too personal. It's just too deep. It's just too difficult. And we try to hide it and seclude it and, you know, hide it from other people. And even we, we get this idea we can try to, you know, people have been trying this since Adam and Eve's time, right? I can hide that from God. In our humanity, we cannot be in the presence of God as we are. His kingdom cannot be shaken. Verse 28, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. This is the, the holiness and kingship of God. How many kingdoms come and go? How many countries rise up only to fall? Empires that look formidable and long-lasting are part of our history books again and again and again. 
But this kingdom cannot be shaken. It doesn't change. It doesn't decay. It doesn't go away. The voice of God shakes the earth and the heavens, and the kingdom of God lasts forever. This is our king. Holy and awesome is his name. And Jesus is the king of kings. He's described that way in Revelation chapter 19 at verse 16. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. In just a couple weeks, we're going to hit December. And at least one radio station locally is already playing Christmas music. Which is okay. We're almost there. We're almost to December. Every year when I was uh, in high school, even before that, when my sister was in high school... The orchestra and the band would combine to make like symphonic orchestra and the choir would come and we would all together, this is a public high school, we probably can't do this anymore, um, sing a little bit of Handel's Messiah, the Hallelujah Chorus, probably familiar. And then alumni would be invited. If you're, you know, alumni from the band or the orchestra or the choir, you can come down and join. And I always thought when I was in you know, junior high, I was, I was looking forward to when I got to be there and part of it. And then when I was in high school, I always thought, oh, I'm going to come back for this and I'm going to be one of the alumni that comes and helps sing or play or whatever. And never did. But it's probably familiar. Hallelujah. Right. King of kings. Forever and ever. Hallelujah. And Lord of lords forever and ever. Hallelujah. Those words pulled out of Revelation, talking about Jesus, the King, who is seated at the right hand of God. A lot of times when we think about Jesus, we think about his humble birth. We think about his life and ministry and the things he taught and said. And we focus a lot on the death of Jesus on the cross, which we should. It's important. It's important to remember again and again that Jesus was crucified on our behalf and that he rose again, defeating death and the grave, opening the way for us to life everlasting. But sometimes we stop right there, right? We get to Easter and we're like, that's awesome, which it is. I don't want to minimize Easter at all. But the ascension of Jesus, the enthronement of Jesus, that he lives and reigns on high is often something we don't talk that much about. He is the king of kings, seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews chapter 12, early in the chapter, says this. Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The last Sunday in the church year, which is where we are, is Christ the King Sunday. So next week begins Advent, which is the, the beginning of our church calendar. And so we you know, start with Advent looking forward to the birth of Jesus, and then we talk about his birth and his life and everything else, and we get to Easter and all in the Pentecost season, and this is the day that we celebrate him as king of kings, his reign over all of creation. We confessed it in our creed, that he ascended and sits at the right hand of the throne of God the Father Almighty. 
His kingdom is not, though, of this world. He reigns on high, but his kingdom is not of this world. He, in fact, shares that with Pilate in the gospel reading for today. Pontius Pilate's interviewing Jesus. This is in the you know, trial leading up to the cross. And Pilate starts an- asking questions, right? Are you the king? And Jesus replies that his kingdom is not of the world. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. It's from heaven. The heavenly Jerusalem is the city of the living God. That's in verse 22. So we have this in mind that he's transcendent, the king of kings reigning on high, but we also need to recognize that the kingdom may be not of this world, but is definitely in this world. Jesus brought the kingdom to earth. Pilate was looking for a political threat. Many people in the first century were trying to join a political rebellion. Let's throw off the Romans and let's restore the kingdom to Israel with a focus on the earthly kingdom. And so Jesus is like, my kingdom's not of this world. It's a transcendent kingdom that's not focused on any political boundary. People still today look for worldly leadership, worldly blessing, earthly kingdoms, power. Jesus brought the kingdom of God And he invites us into it. But the way into it isn't to join some political movement. It's not to sign up for something that happens that makes us powerful, that gives us authority. The kingdom of God looks different. Different from any other kingdom. The king of kings, the lord of lords, who reigns on high, humbled himself was obedient to death on a cross and invites us into this kingdom by faith. So we can approach the king still in fear and reverence, but invited to be part of the kingdom through the new covenant, through the blood of Jesus. Mount Sinai, if we focus there, the emphasis is on God's law and transcendence and holiness. The focus on Mount Zion, the place of Jesus emphasizes God's righteousness and grace and mercy. This is the kingdom of God. Come on in. There are not walls and boundaries to keep people out. There are open gates to welcome us so that you and I are invited to serve the king, to worship with reverence and awe, which it describes at verse 28. Let us offer God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Our worship, how we engage the king of the kingdom, includes recognizing his power, his authority, his glory, his righteousness, his holiness, and being reverent before him. It's the honor that is due his name for all that he has done. So we worship, we also listen to his voice. In Hebrews 12, at tw- verse 25, it says, See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. 
And in John chapter 18, speaking to Pilate, he said, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. What is he saying? What is he saying to you today? How does he speak to us today? It's not from thunder on a mountain. It's not from some far off place where he's demonstrating his power and is emphasizing his holiness. He speaks to us today in his word. He speaks to us today in the voice of a fellow believer. He speaks to us today through people who speak the truth in love for us and to us. He speaks to us today in his word that tells us we're forgiven, that we're loved, that we're treasured, that we're valued. No matter who we are, how much power or authority we might have in this world, we're loved and valued by the king of the universe. No matter how much burden we're bearing right now, we're loved and cared for by the king of the universe. No matter how unworthy we might feel in this moment, we're loved and valued by the king of the universe. So run your race. Hebrews 12 begins with those words, surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. It's looking back at chapter 11. Hebrews 11 is like the hall of fame of, of the Old Testament. It talks about Abraham, who by faith did this, and Moses, who by faith did this. And mostly main, you know, kind of the, all the Sunday school stories are there, right? All these people that, whose names you know, are f- familiar. There's, you know, the, the kind of key biblical narratives but then there's a few that were like, wait, who's that again? By faith, this is what they did. It's a celebration of the faith of people who even came before Jesus, who were looking to that kingdom, looking for that kingdom, waiting patiently for that kingdom, surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. So even if we can't see them, even if we don't necessarily know them, we're surrounded by this cloud of witnesses, even when we feel we're disconnected alone, separated. We're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. So let's throw off the weight, the hindrance, the sin that entangles us and run with perseverance. That's what it's describing. With eyes fixed on Jesus. Verse 2 said this, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Sometimes we look around. Sometimes we look at what's going on next to us, near us. Sometimes we look back, how things used to be, looking to Jesus, the founder, the author and perfecter of our faith is a translation that maybe is familiar. The one who began it, the one who finished it, let's look to him, that great king. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, we run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. And verse 3 goes on to talk about enduring hostility. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Have you been weary? Have you been faint-hearted? Lately, that's been pretty common. To feel worn out feel burdened, 
We look to Jesus, the one who endured such hostility. People pushed back against him. People rejected him. Even those who were closest to him fled. Looking to Jesus. Understanding what he went through, we can move ahead without growing weary or faint-hearted. Maybe that's just one step. Maybe that's just one little move. Sometimes that's all we can muster. But our God is with us even in those times. Our God's caring for us even through the, the depths that we endure. Christ is the King. We are subjects of the King of the universe. Loved, valued, forgiven, honored, welcomed, encouraged, supported by the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Let's keep our eyes fixed on Him. Amen.